Well, um, I want to uh, read another scripture. I'm going to just take a few minutes, more, more of a homily this morning than a sermon, so don't be nervous. Take a few minutes and uh, read from Isaiah chapter 35. I'll have it on the screen, but if you want, you can just listen. Just listen. Again, it's, about a, uh, it's a longer passage, but I'm just going to look at two verses. And uh, to, today's message, uh, as we walk into the Christmas season, is absolutely practical. It's absolutely hands-on the call of God on our lives. So let's uh, prepare ourselves to hear the word of the Lord. This is Isaiah chapter 35. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will come as green as, uh, become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's come. And when he comes, he'll open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Yes! Yes! Be, uh, before I pray, I just want to give you a few sentences of background because there's a lot going on in Isaiah 35. There's a lot going on in all 66 chapters of Isaiah. But here specifically, we see the crossroads of the kingdom. I mean, this is like the epitome of the theology of the kingdom in the Old Testament because we, we, we see this declaration of what's going to happen. All the glory and the splendor of God revealed. And then we see what happens after the glory of God and splendor revealed. The lame leaping like deer, the, you know, the, the mute shouting. Now, these are the things that were reported after Jesus arrived. So right here in Isaiah 35, we see the now and the not yet of the kingdom. We see the promise of the Messiah. We see the reality of the Messiah. And we see the results of the Messiah. And we live right in the midst of it. So let's pray that we can receive the instruction from God this morning, what it looks like for us to live in the midst of the now and the not yet. Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for the reality that it encompasses. God, you have come. And God, you are here. And God, you will come again to claim us, your sheep. And in the midst of it, Lord, we thank you that you're watching over us. You will never leave us alone. You'll never forsake us. We are yours. 
Open our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit to listen, to know, to believe, and to act on this, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, the history of this Isaiah 35 passage, Isaiah is speaking in the time of the divided kingdom. So remember David's son Solomon. Solomon is the last king over the, uh, the, the united kingdom. And then after Solomon, well, basically all heck breaks loose. And so um, Israel and Judah are separated. This people of God is torn apart. And essentially for the next, I don't know how many hundred years, the enemies of the people of God assault them. And so you have Isaiah prophesying at really an ugly time for the people of God. The people of God have been taken over by the bad guys. In, In this case back there, Assyrians. Today, not casting any aspersions, this would be modern day Iraq. So, I mean, we're fighting the same war. (laughs) We're fighting the same battle. I mean, the the same types of issues we're dealing with today. Nations divided, nations against one another. The people of God being assaulted. That's what we live in day after day. And that's what Isaiah was prophesying into. And what Isaiah declares is actually fulfilled. He says this time is coming when the glory and the splendor of God will come. You know, and the crocuses and spring and the marshes and, you know, the jackals won't hurt anybody. I mean, it just sounds like glory. That was actually partially fulfilled in the 8th century B.C. So when, when Israel and Judah finally got the nerve up and said, we're going against our, these captors, they were released by God in a miraculous victory. So this, it has been partially fulfilled. The Israelites reading this after the 8th century B.C. would look back and remember the time that God vanquished the enemies and there was peace. 700 years later, Jesus comes. And the very same things that John asked about Jesus. Do you remember John the Baptist? He's in prison and the disciples come and they say, man, I think this is the dude. We think this is the guy. And John says, go back to Jesus and ask, are you the one, the promised one, the eternal Messiah, the great king? Are you that one or should should we be waiting for another? In other words, John is saying, I'm about to get my head lopped off. I just want to know if it's for a good reason. And Jesus says to the disciples, go back to John and tell him this. The gospels preach to the poor. The lame are healed. The mute speak. The prisoners are set free. I mean, this is Isaiah 35 being fulfilled a second time. Jesus, uh, the Lord saved his people Israel. The Lord brought Jesus to save his people again. And we are still in the midst of being saved. I mean, how many of you just feel it in your bones You know, I'm still being saved. I'm not talking about eternally. I mean, I don't want you to question your security. Boy, but don't you just feel kind of dicey out there? Does your heart ever get discouraged and fearful? Do your hands ever feel tired? Do your knees ever feel weak? And so right in the middle of this prophetic declaration, God has come. Andy's coming again, and we live right in the middle. This is what Isaiah says to the people of God. If you are the people of God, say, me. Me. All right. He's saying this to us 
In those days, after the fulfillment, in the midst of the fulfillment, before the Messiah comes again, in those days, he says, with this news, strengthen those with tired hands. Encourage those with weak knees. Speak to the fearful hearts. Your God is coming to destroy your enemies. Your God will save you. This is the message that we carry into the world during Christmas. We, we, we carry into the world the message that Jesus has come, that Jesus is here, and that Jesus is coming again. And in the midst of it, there's a little bit of struggle. So we get some tired hands, and we get some weak knees, and we get some fearful hearts. There is no secret, hidden, spiritual message in Isaiah 35, 3 and 4. It's not a secret. It's crystal clear. God, what should I do in the midst of this struggle of life? You've saved me, but I still struggle. You've you've arrived to declare victory, but there are still people that are in pain and agony. You've come to save the world, and many don't believe. It just seems like the world's going down, down, down. What, what, What do we do? In the midst of it. It's not a secret. It's crystal clear. Strengthen those with tired hands. Those who are weary of holding on, of working, of bearing up. Can you just close your eyes for a minute and picture someone in your life with tired hands? I don't mean just a, a laborer, okay? I mean someone you, just, you can see them you know, in the office or in your house or at the gym. You can see them in your neighborhood and you just see weariness all over them. You just see weakness. So what does it mean to strengthen those with tired hands? I think it means this. We give them our strength. We give them our strength. Strengthening those with (laughs) weebled, wobbled hands that don't fall down. I did that for Barry. Strengthening those with tired hands. The picture is this. We come with our strong hands and we put them under those hands. And we say, I'm with you. We give them our strength because they don't have it on their own. That's what it means to strengthen those with tired hands. And have you uh, ever given CPR to a person, a real person? Raise your hand. One. Okay, we have one Savior, two Saviors. (laughs) Oh, joke there. I know. What happens when you give CPR to a person? They're laying on the ground without breath. They're laying on the ground without a heartbeat. And what do you do? You pound them in the chest and you give them your heartbeat. I mean, isn't that really what happens? You are, with your strength, pounding a beat back into their heart. And with your mouth, how much more intimate can you get? With your mouth, you blow your oxygen into them. You blow your breath into them. They're there without life. They're there without a heartbeat. They're there without breath. And you beat the life of God into them. And you blow the breath of God given to you into them. That's what it means to strengthen those with tired hands. You see them coming along and they're struggling. They don't know what to do. It could be your spouse. It could be your parents getting older. It could be your children, your friends. It could be someone you just see every day but have never met. You just walk up and say, you know, I think you need strength. How can I help you? 
We're giving to people the strength that God's given to us. That's what I think it means to strengthen those with tired hands. I'm going to pray for grace for us during this Christmas season to actually see the people with tired hands, the people that don't know how to go on anymore. Believers or unbelievers. Some of those people with tired hands are sitting right here. They're just exhausted. And they need us. They don't need our condemnation. They need our invitation into the strength of Jesus. And we get to do it. What a joy. Strengthen those with tired hands. Secondly, Isaiah says this, in the middle of the now and the not yet, while the presence and the kingdom of God is here, and while it's still on its way, while we live right in the tension of difficulty, he says this, encourage those with weak knees. Encourage those with weak knees. With your knees, you walk through life. With your knees, you pray through life. You can't walk for someone else. I mean, how many of you tried to do that? You, know? you, you, you want to do their life for them. Parents? Grandparents? Great-grandparents? You can't walk for another person. You can walk with another person. And that's what I think it means to, strength, to encourage those with weak knees. You can't come along and make their knees strong. You can't come along and make them pray. But what you can do is you can walk beside them. When they're in agony, you can be there. To me, this is physical presence. This is physical presence. Just being there. I mean, Jane and I are pastors. We spend a lot of time just being there with people who are weak in the knees, (laughs) who just don't know how to go on, who are being assaulted with difficulties and they just don't know how is this ever going to work out. And maybe for the first, you know, eight, ten years of my ministry, I just longed to be able to zap them, you know? And I pray like crazy. And I come up with all sorts of ideas how, how I can make them strong. And I realize I don't have the gift to make another strong. But what I can do is I can encourage the ones with weak knees. Encourage. I can take courage from me, and I can put it into another's heart. I can say, Alan, you're going to make it. I know it seems hard. I don't know how it's going to work out, but you're, you're going to make it. That, that's what it means for us to en- encourage those with feeble knees. They, they, they need us to come along and say, you know what? I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm telling you, you can do it. How crucial has encouragement been in your life? Think of a time when someone came to you and you thought, there's no possible way I can do it. I mean, this is, this is Jane's probably greatest gift to me in my life. 27 years of hearing me say, I can't do it. And 27 years of her saying to me, Randy, you can do it. You, you can do it. God's with you. And she encourages me. And boy, I long for the vineyard to be a place of encouragement. Not a place where people come in and we look down and say, boy, you're in a pile of mess. (laughs) Not a place where people come in and we give false hope. Oh, no, it's not true. Just pretend like it's not true in your life. That's not reality. To encourage implies you need courage because it's hard. 
So we strengthen those with tired hands. We literally give them our strength, our breath, our heartbeat. We uh, encourage those with weak knees. We walk with them, not for them, but with them. We're physically present in their lives when it's hard. I cannot tell you how many times I've walked into a funeral or a visitation. You know, how many people just love to go to funerals and visitations? Okay, it's not really peachy keen fun. And I walk in, and not because I'm super Mr. Somebody Special, but just because I'm a caring person. I can't tell you how many times people have said, it meant so much that you were here. Your physical presence meant something. I didn't say any words. I didn't do any magic. I didn't raise any from the dead. I just was there. And they say, you know what? I got strength from that. I walked out with courage in the midst of difficulty because you were there. We strengthen those with tired hands. We encourage those with weak knees. And finally, Isaiah says this, right in the middle of the now and the not yet, in the tension, in the difficulty, in the reality of life, in the kingdom, before the kingdom comes fully, he says this, speak to those with fearful hearts. Speak to those with fearful hearts and tell them, do not fear. Your God is coming. He's coming to, to rescue you. He's coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. Well, I don't know if there's anything more uh, empowering that, that we can do for other people than to declare the presence of God in another person's life. I think before we try to counsel people out of their difficulties, we ought to really remind people that Jesus is with them in the midst of their difficulties. Sometimes we want to save people out of their difficulties. And when we pull people out of their difficulties, when we save people out of their difficulties, when we just go in and yank them out, you know what? They don't get to meet Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't help each other, okay? If, if, if you see someone in front of a speeding car, yank them out of the way, okay? But there's a Savior, and you're not him. What we can do is we can remind people of that Savior. We can look to those who are fearful and anxious. And we're all there sometimes. And we can say, I just want to remind you, your God is coming. Your God is coming. He's coming to destroy your enemies. The enemies you can't destroy, the enemies I can't destroy. He's coming to save you. Well, I think that is one of the most encouraging things we can do for the body of Christ and even for the unbeliever who has an awareness of God, but no personal knowledge. Hey, you're in a heap of trouble. You know what? Your God is coming. My, my God? Yes, your God is coming. Remember the story I told last week? I, I saw that guy who did something nasty to a family member of mine. And the Lord gave me these words, God's hand of compassion is extended towards you. And I just all week I've been thinking the way he said it back to me. God's hand? of compassion is extended to me? Like, in awe. Could it be that God is coming for me? I think is what he was thinking. And I was there to tell him, you're darn right he is, with a hand of compassion, with the law of love. So this is what we get to do in the now and the not yet. We get to uh, strengthen those with tired hands. We get to encourage those with weak knees who are having trouble making it, not to walk for them, but to walk with them. 
And we get to speak to those with fearful hearts. Hey, be strong. Don't be afraid. Your God is coming. He's coming to rescue you. He's coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And let me just give you permission to look uh, a little crazy. You're allowed to speak to yourself. It says, speak to those with fearful hearts. So some of us have to get up, look in the mirror, and say, hey, Randy, be strong. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Your God's coming. Remember? He's coming to destroy your enemies. Remember, Jesus is coming again. He's promised his presence, and he's coming to save you. That's why we worship Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus comes from the Hebrew Joshua. means God saves. That's why he's our Lord. That's why he's the king, because he's coming. He's coming to save us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we cannot save and deliver ourselves, Lord, but you give us grace to strengthen others, to encourage others, to speak to others' fearful hearts, the mystery that you are here, that you are present, that you're coming again. God, give us faith to walk as those encouraging people during this time. And Lord, I ask that we would go forth into the world with this news of your coming and be able to strengthen tired hands and encourage feeble knees and speak to fearful hearts. Amen. As we've been doing in uh, December, we're going to close our service formally with communion. And so I'll ask the ministry team to come forward. If you guys want to go ahead and take communion, you can, and then just spread out. This is a time for us to respond to God. I mean, you, you heard the message from the Lord this morning. Maybe you heard a number of messages. But through me, you heard this. You have the chance to strengthen tired hands. You have the opportunity to encourage weak knees. You've been given the, the, the mouthpiece, the voice of God, to speak to the fearful heart. Be strong. Don't be afraid. Your God's coming. He's coming to save you. So as you come forward and take communion this morning, I would ask you to remember the ways that God has strengthened you and encouraged you and saved you. And as you give thanks for that, and even as you walk from communion this morning, say, Lord, who am I called during this season to strengthen? Who am I called to encourage? Who am I just supposed to be with, whether I feel like it or not? Who needs to hear from me this Christmas? Be strong. Your God's coming. He's coming to save you. So as you come forward, you can have people pray for you before communion. You can take communion in it and then have people pray for you. If you don't know Jesus personally as your king, then before you take communion, talk to someone up here on the prayer team or talk to me or to Barry and let us introduce you to him because your God is coming. And he's coming to save you. Don't walk out without the king's salvation. So why don't you stand? Let me just pray this from 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. And you can come and respond to God. And we'll go into the world in peace. Now our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father loves us. And through his loving favor, he gives us comfort and hope 
that lasts forever. May he give your hearts comfort and strength to say and to do every good thing. Amen.